the reading is Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. This is the account of the heaven and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted the garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he, form, he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow off the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the, the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And good morning, if you haven't met, uh, my name is uh, Richard, and uh, welcome again to uh, family and friends here for uh, baptisms, and uh, to all of us, if you're uh, here regularly, or visiting us, or uh, watching online, it's very good to have you with us. My name uh, is Richard, if uh, we haven't met, and uh, we're going to come back to uh, that reading. Uh, after some weeks in Genesis 1, we've made it to Genesis 2, uh, not the fastest progress in the history of reading, but uh, we're getting somewhere, and uh, shall we pray together as we come uh, to this passage? Our Father, we are uh, here to uh, worship you, and uh, we ask that as we read uh, the Scriptures, you would show us more of your uh, goodness and uh, your loveliness and uh, how wonderful you are to us. And please would you uh, let us go home uh, with a greater uh, desire uh, to worship you as our God. Amen. Well, if I might uh, ask, and I'm not going to ask the answers, so um, I feel like I can ask, uh, if you imagine you're moving house, and uh, you may have done it recently, I don't know, imagine you're uh, moving house and uh, empty house, what is for you the first thing that you would unpack uh, so you're there amid uh, the boxes, amid the chaos. Uh, for you, what's the thing that you've packed last? You know where it is. You're going to unpack it, and things feel a little better. Uh, maybe it is, uh, you know, if we came to your house, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, you've been unpacking, and uh, I feel like it would, it would tell us something about you, uh, what it is that you've got out first. Maybe it is uh, the kettle and the mugs are there, and a cup of tea is ready. Maybe it's that uh, the bed has been rebuilt and made, and you're ready for a nap. Or maybe uh, you've... 
uh, moved with kids and there's some special toys that have been unpacked. Or maybe there's no kids, but there are toys around the place anyway. Uh, maybe it's the TVs up on the wall. Um, I'll confess, someone between the services came to me and said, the last time I moved, the first thing I unpacked was my Bible. And I thought I probably should have had that on my list of things you might uh, unpack. But uh, we come to your house, I think we'd, we'd learn something about you. And we'd learn something about what your house was going to be like. You know, what you've unpacked first, that'll tell us something about under your uh, living in this house, what will it be like? What are your priorities for this house and for this space. And in Genesis 2, there's a sense in which we are watching God beginning to unpack uh, his house. In Genesis 1, God has made uh, the the universe and the world, and uh, in Genesis 2, he's starting to uh, put his first priorities, stamp uh, his first priorities, unpack uh, the first pieces of furniture, as it were, into the world that he's made. And uh, in in a sentence... What we'll see in Genesis 2 is that God makes a temple and a priest. Now, you may think I was listening to the reading. I don't think I fell asleep. I didn't hear the words temple or priest. No, that's, that's right. Uh, the words aren't there, but I hope if you bear with me, we'll see the idea here is that of a, a temple and a priest. And you may think it's not what I would have expected God's first priority to be as he sort of uh, sets the, the shape and the direction for the world that he's made. Well, I hope as we look, you'll see this is a a good thing uh, to know that God wanted in his world a a temple and a priest. A word as we turn sort of from uh, Genesis 1 into Genesis 2, a word of how we read this chapter. We ask that in Genesis 1, we'll ask it again in Genesis 2. Uh, It does seem like this chapter is presented as a historical account. Uh, You read it, the the places that are talked about, they are... Uh, real places, real rivers that are described. You could visit them. The names have changed of many of them since, but they are uh, real places. Adam himself, referred to through the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, looked back to as a historical figure. This uh, event in Genesis 2 and 3 is historical events. It seems to be presented that way. But we don't want to, uh, on the other hand, over-read uh, it and over-push for what's here. I think if you try to read Genesis 2 and think, well, this is the creation of all of humanity, then as the chapters go on, you start to run into trouble. In chapter 4 in particular, it looks like there are other people in the world beyond Adam's family. And you could read chapter 4 and see that. And so we don't want to push the details further than they want to go. We don't want to come to Genesis 2 with our questions and demand that it answer them. Instead, we want to listen to this chapter and through it, listen to the Lord and ask, Lord, what do you want to tell us through uh, this chapter? And lots of it seems to be about the relationships that the Lord is forming uh, the world to uh, have. And in this first half that we've read, the the vertical relationship between God and the man, humanity, uh, how we relate to to, to it together. And then next week, we'll see more of the horizontal relationships between people as we see the man and uh, the woman together in the garden. And so this week, the the vertical relationship, and as I said, a temple and a priest. Uh, Let's look at those two and see uh, if if we think we can see them in the chapter. Uh, Let me read from verse 8, if you have it. We'll see uh, the temple first. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he'd formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this garden 
that the Lord creates. And this, this beautiful, lush garden, all kinds of trees, pleasing to the eye and good for food. Uh, the sort of tranquil desert island scene, everything beautiful, everything tasty, everything uh, good for food. In this garden, you decide what you want for breakfast, and there it is. Mango, there it is. You want coconut, you want papaya, uh, anything you want on your cereal, there it is. Just walk to a tree and grab it, and it's yours. And as the, the Bible later, the Old Testament looks back on this scene, it describes this garden as the Lord's garden. Before it was for humanity, it was for him. A place for him to enjoy, a place for him to dwell. In that sense, like a temple, a home for God. And in fact, uh, again, as you look at the temples through uh, the Bible, and not just in the Bible, the culture around, uh, the way this garden is described is exactly like temples were. Uh, temples uh, full of um, uh, the, the, the precious stones and the metals that are going to be described in the next uh, paragraph. Uh, temples full of the images of the garden, of uh, trees and fruit, and uh, sort of recreating that, that image in the temple of a, a garden paradise. And then the rivers. We get this uh, whole uh, little paragraph about the different rivers that there are. Uh, the one, the, the Pishon, that right, winds through the land of Havilah. Uh, the Gishon, that goes through the land of Cush. Uh, the Tigris, it runs through uh, Asher and the Euphrates, which goes in a similar sort of direction. And again, a common picture of uh, rivers coming out of a temple to uh, water and nourish uh, the land that's around. You wonder why have you got all this detail about the, um, uh, the rivers, these four different ones? There's a whole paragraph that we have there of where these rivers are going. Some people through the generations of the church have sort of tried to plot this on a map and uh, you know, work out where these rivers are, which river might it be, and sort of trace them back, and you can pinpoint you know, where they converge. Boom, that's Eden. Let's go. Let's see what's there. Um, I don't think that's why uh, we have it here. I think it's to give that picture that from this garden, blessing flows. Uh, The rivers water and nourish and sustain and bless the land around. I said it was a common picture for uh, a temple in uh, the culture of the day. Uh, See, the Lord, he's made this garden, but he doesn't want it to be exclusive. It's too good to keep to himself, like when you have a secret or good news that's just too good to keep to yourself and you want to tell someone else, or when you've taken a picture of you know, a beautiful scene on holiday, or a, a kid who's done something cute, or a meal that you've made and you're proud of, and you just you want to share that photo online, or on a WhatsApp group, or uh, wherever it would be, show it to someone. The Lord says, this place, this blessing, it's too good, it's meant to spread, it's meant to flow. It's not just for one place, it's meant to fill the world. That is the uh, temple that the Lord has made, this garden temple, meant to spread his blessing through the world. But the temple needs a priest. And so in verse 7, Pete sort of uh, showed us this with his dust and his mess. Uh, The Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So this man then becomes something of a, a link and a bridge between God and people between heaven and earth, as he has a a foot in both. He's formed from both. He's made from uh, the dust of the earth, and his life comes from the breath of heaven as God breathes into his nostrils. You could think of uh, a child who has uh, parents who speak two languages, and uh, the child grows up uh, fluent in two languages, the astonishing way children have of picking up uh, languages and picking up two if that's what the parents are speaking at home. And this child who grows up bilingual, 
fluent in one language and the other, comfortable, therefore, in one country and the other. And that is what Adam is like here. Fluent on earth, that's what he's made of. Fluent in the language of heaven, that's where his life comes from. He's a a bridge, a mediator between the two, which is what a a priest was in the Old Testament. A priest, someone who uh, was human, understood humanity, could represent humanity before God, but someone too who knew the mind of God and can represent God to the people. And here is Adam as this priest, this bridge, this mediator between heaven and earth. And given then a a job to do, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Again, those uh, two words, to, to work and take care. If you fast forward through the Bible, and those are the words that the priests are told. That's their job in the temple. They're to work there and to take care of it. Adam is being installed as a, a priest in this temple garden. And sort of two strands to his job. Uh, the first seems to be to uh, spread the blessing of the garden, of the temple, out uh, to all the world. If you are here a couple of weeks ago, we heard that uh, humanity, what God called them to do was fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, and just as the rivers flow and take the blessing of this garden, the nourishment, uh, Adam is to help in that, to, to spread, to, to push the borders of the garden further and further and further into a world that God's blessing would be known. And then the second word is to take care of it, to uh, protect it, to keep it safe. And uh, the idea here is that there are uh, forces outside the garden that want to come in and damage and lie and destroy and harm. And Adam is to keep the garden safe, to take care of it, to protect it. And so these uh, two uh, sort of functions, pushing the borders out, spreading, spreading, spreading this place of blessing and then protecting uh, the borders from what would come in from outside. So we're going to see, I don't think Genesis 2 is saying that at this point the entire world was at paradise and perfect. It's saying there was a garden where the Lord dwelt. And the plan was that it would spread and would fill and subdue and tame that which was uh, less, uh, which was opposed, which was wilder, which was less safe. But, but that's not how it went. And uh, verse uh, 16 and 17 Uh, We meet one more uh, piece of this with the temple and uh, the priest and uh, the tree. Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Again, this astonishing provision from the Lord, any tree, any tree, whatever you want, grab it, eat it, it's yours, but not that one tree, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. At this one tree, that's provoked more questions probably than any tree in the history of the world. Uh, let's just think about two fairly basic questions. What is this tree and why? Uh, why is it there? Uh, what is it? It's maybe actually helpful to start with what it isn't because there's various misconceptions that exist around the place. Uh, one idea Uh, and this is uh, some in the church would have said this through the centuries, it's an idea in our culture at the moment, is that uh, the knowledge of good and evil, it represents sex. And uh, at this point, humanity has some sort of sexual awakening or something like that, and uh, that's what God doesn't want that, and that's what God doesn't like in the world. 
And uh, if you've read um, uh, His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman, uh, those stories, they would uh, have that sort of idea and, and say that's what Genesis is saying. Um, I don't see that can be what Genesis is saying. The very first words that God said to humanity when he made them were, be fruitful and increase in number. And the Lord knew how that was going to happen. Uh, at the end of uh, Genesis 2, next week we'll see there's, there's a marriage. Uh, they're naked together, they feel no shame. It's hard to read Genesis and think that it's anti-sex in any way. So not that. I think another misconception probably is um, that almost like there's some chemical in the, in the fruit. And there's something about the fruit that does something to Adam and to Eve. Uh, you think, you know, uh, carrots, they have vitamin A in them, and so they help your eyes to see well in the dark. And uh, calcium or milk uh, has vitamin D in it, and it helps your bones to grow stronger. And fish has something in it. I was trying to work out, is it omega? Is it something to do with that? Uh, fish has something in it uh, that's good for your brain and means your brain works better. Someone could tell me afterwards what it is. Um, and, you know, the fruit, well, that's got some vitamin in it that sort of strengthens your moral uh, sensibilities and means that you know what's good and what's evil. I don't think it's that. It's not some sort of uh, you know, magic fruit, some superfood. Uh, I think the idea is instead, well, this idea of knowledge of good and evil, knowing what is good, has this sense of, of choosing, of deciding what is good and what is evil. So the question to Adam, the man, every day is, do you trust me? Here's a tree, and I've said to you, don't eat from it. It will harm you. You will die when you eat from it. Do you trust me? That's the question to Adam each and every day. Do you trust me? I've given you this abundant provision. You can have anything you want, just not that one. Do you trust me? And every day that Adam goes to bed, having not taken that fruit, he's saying, I, I trust you. You know what's good. You know what's bad. I trust you. But if Adam were to stretch out his hand and take from the fruit, what he's saying is, I know what is good and what is evil. I know what's good for me. I know what's best. I know what I'm going to do. And so actually it's the stretching out the hand that's the point where the story goes wrong, not eating the fruit. In that sense, there's nothing particular about the fruit, but it's that question, do you trust me? Or do you know what's better? Or at least think you do. That's what it is. Uh, why is it there? Why does God, that's one of the questions that, uh, as a vicar, I'm uh, often asked, why did God put the tree there? Surely it's just a recipe for disaster. But I think actually seeing it as, it's not that this is some sort of fruit that in itself is harmful, but that question of you trust me, I think it helps to, to, to start to answer that question. Why did God put it there? It's not like uh, God took a, a bottle of acid and put it in the middle of a child's playground and just sort of stepped back and you say, well, you, like, that, is, that is a recipe for disaster. Things are clearly going to go wrong. What are you doing? That's dangerous. It's not like that. The fruit wasn't harmful. It was a, a test, a question. In that sense, the tree is more like litmus paper. If you remember that from chemistry, it sort of changes color when it's with an acid. Uh, the tree is like litmus paper. It, it tests what's in Adam and us. And it exposes that actually in us, in him, there is a, an acid, a corrosion, a, a poison that is there. Because, spoilers, if you haven't read ahead, but we'll see over the next few weeks, Adam and Eve did choose to not trust the Lord. We know better. We'll take it. And so in a sense, the tree 
exposed what they were like. It shows us what we as a race are like. What is the tree? It's a, it's a question. Do you trust me? Why did God put it there? To show us what we're like. And maybe another reason that the Lord put it there is that it shows us something of the glory of the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is the priest that Adam was made to be and meant to be and failed to be. Jesus, the priest who was asked by his father, do you trust me, and said, yes. In his life, was taken into the desert and tested by the same serpent that we'll see in Genesis 3 and was tempted, take this and eat it. Was tempted, I can make you like God. And instead he said, no, 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 because it's written in my Father's word. And I trust my Father. And Jesus then is the priest who, enthroned in heaven as his temple, spreads his blessing through the world. Not keeping it to himself, it's too good, it's too good, it has to share. He has to share his blessing. There's a a beautiful picture later in the Bible in the book of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel, uh, towards the end of that book, there's a picture of uh, the new temple. It's a point in Israel's history where the temple's been destroyed and God's people are in exile and God promises one day there'll be a new temple. It's sort of this gigantic proportions. Ezekiel's shown around it. It's a a picture of Jesus' kingdom. And an angel uh, brings him over and says, look, under the altar there's this little trickle of water just coming out of the altar. And come and look outside, and this trickle, sort of, it's headed outside, it's become a little, a little stream, and they paddle in it for 500 meters or so, and it's becoming sort of, you know, knee-deep. And they paddle some more, and it's up to their waist, and they, they paddle a bit more, and it becomes this sort of great river, too deep for someone to walk in, too powerful. You'll be washed away, full of life, and fish are living in it. And the river, they follow it down, and it reaches the sea, and it turns this salt sea into fresh water. And it's this picture of blessing coming from the Lord's temple. Abundant blessing, bringing life where there was death, turning salt water into fresh. And that's just a little trickle coming from under the altar, and it does all of that. Imagine the full reality when Jesus returns, and the dam opens, and his blessing floods into the world. Jesus is the priest who trusts his Father and brings God's blessing into the world. And so Genesis 2 then, I think, leaves us with a question. And it's a question not just to ask once and then we're done, but day by day, a question we'll be asked to answer. Will we say, I know, or will we say, I trust? Will we follow in the footsteps of Adam who said, I know what is good, what is best. I know what's good for me. I'm not going to listen to anyone else. I'm certainly going to listen to God. God, I know you disagree with me on this, but I know what is good, and I'm going to take it. Or will we say, I trust? I trust you, Lord Jesus. And please, would you, again, give me your blessing? And one drop of it can change my life, but would you bless me? And would you... Bring me into God's presence. And would you restore me? Would you forgive me where I need that? Would you change me? Would you let me see you? Will we say, I know? Or will we say, I trust you? We're about to sing, the Lord is my shepherd. And that is what the chorus says. I will trust in you alone. 
And for some of us, that might be a declaration we want to make this morning. Lord, I trust you. For some of us, it might be a prayer. We want to pray this morning, Lord, would this be true in me? For some of us, we might think, actually, no, I, I think I know better. And maybe there's something you want to talk uh, with someone about.